I want you to think back a little bit. For some of you, this is going to be an easy exercise. For others of you, you got to go pretty far back. I want you to think of the very first computer that you had. When I was about 15, I remember coming home one day, and, and my mom worked um, occasionally in some things, did babysitting. She was a stay-at-home mom, which was great in, in a lot of ways, kept me out of a lot of trouble. And I would come home, and usually uh, there would be, like, baked bread and cookies. <laughs> Not really. But, uh, like, there'd be awesome stuff and, like, snacks. I'd walk in, there'd be commotion. And I walked in this day, and there was silence. I didn't hear anything which is kind of weird when you know someone's supposed to be home, right? And, and so, like, there's nothing. I was kind of calling out, and eventually I heard some noise coming from this addition room that my dad had where his, his workbench and stuff out there, and there was kind of like this home office type thing. And I remember walking out, and my mom was moving this electric typewriter out of the way. And, okay, uh, for those of you who are, like, 20 and under, um, a typewriter is like a, an ancient keyboard um, and like you'd push a key and it would like strike up against, you would take a piece of paper, you would roll it through like this, this rolling pin type thing inside the keyboard and like you'd press a button and it would hit the paper and it would like put the letter, if you press the letter J, you would press the letter J and it would strike it on the paper and then you could do a bunch of letters depending on how fast you could go. But like if you ever messed up, Forget about it, okay? Just, well, occasionally, if you had a really good one, they had like this whiteout strip that would take out things. And like, I don't know if you've ever seen whiteout. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so uh, she's moving this typewriter, right, out of the way. And then she says, it's, she just looks at me and says, it's, it's coming. And I was like, should I run? I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And so, like, a couple hours later, my dad comes home. He worked for IBM and he comes in with this giant box that said, IBM PC Junior. And I was like, whoa. And they pulled out the box, they, this. And I was like, it's classic. What a beauty. And um, put it up on the desk, and it had these floppy disks. Uh, like, they flopped. That's, I think that's why they called it that. It was like, I, I think it had like a megabyte of memory. Like, just one megabyte of memory. Um, I know for some of you, you're like, I don't even speak this archaic language. Okay, I, I get it. So, like, you need a bunch of floppy disks to do anything important. And so, like, and don't get me started on the printer. The printer had this paper that, like, had, like, holes on the side of it. And, like, it fed through. Like, just, it's crazy. Okay, so, crazy older people. Okay, uh, so... <clears throat> anyway, this computer um, was classic, and it was really, really cool. How many of you uh, learned on a Commodore 64? Remember that? That was, the, that was Apple before it was cool, Apple. Um, Commodore 64 type thing. And maybe you had other different computers. How many of you remember, like, old, old computers? Turn to your neighbor and say, here's my first computer. You have, like, 10 seconds. Ready? Go. First computer. How many of you said Gateway? How many of you said Gateway, it came in a moo box like a cow, okay, yeah, or Dell, okay, uh, maybe you had something else, an Acer, something. okay, okay, that's 10 seconds, you're done, okay, if they're not that cool, you don't have to keep talking about it, uh, okay, so you had this computer, right, and how many of you grew up a little bit later, anyone ever had a pager before, yeah, you're not doctors, okay, so, um, <clears throat> maybe you had uh, a Palm Pilot, anyone with a Palm Pilot? 
Yeah, that was cool for a month. Um, and then, like, Blackberries, you had a Blackberry type thing. Maybe, uh, how many of you have a cool phone now that's called a smartphone because it's smarter than you? Okay. Um, maybe you have one of those. Here's the crazy thing. To think about it, from an IBM PC Junior, way, way cool, okay, uh, ancient, all the way up to, like, my iPhone now, the fascinating thing about all this technology, no matter the age, is it has an operating system in order to make it work. In fact, the operating system is the key component to a computer. It's the software that works with all the other software and works with all the hardware in order to make it work and be functional and do anything. If you don't have an operating system, you don't have a computer. You've got a heavy paperweight. It just doesn't do anything. That operating system is important, it's vital, it's key, okay? And what I want you to do is to keep that in mind because that's kind of where Peter's going tonight as he begins talking about this idea, what does it mean to be a person with a changed mind? And so if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone, which is a smartphone, you can actually open it up to our app, go down to sermon notes, and you can follow along there. Um, and a lot of the notes are in there. But First Peter, we started here last week looking at this idea of what does it mean to be marked by a, a few characteristics, a few traits that would say, okay, these are the marks of someone who is said yes to Jesus and who is following after Jesus. And we see Peter writing this letter, and we knew, okay, we're not going to do an exegetical study through 1 Peter, but we're going to use it as a touch point to kind of say, here's some things, here's some markers that we like to look back at and say, these are the things that should mark the person who has said yes to Jesus and fallen after his direction. And we remember, hey, this is Peter writing this book, okay, 35, 38 years after the resurrection, and his faith is still vibrant, and it's growing, and, and he's wanting people to understand, look, because of your faith in Jesus, you have been changed, period. But you're also in the process of being changed, meaning there's this ongoing work, this changing work of God and of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And what we see in the life of Peter is that someone who hangs around Jesus is changed, in fact, you cannot help but be changed the more time you spend with Jesus. It just automatically happens. Because if you're hanging around in proximity with Jesus, trying to follow after him, he, it's what he does best. He just changes us. And so there's some things we wanted to look at to say, hey, if you could pick out and say, here's some things. It's not all the things, but here's some things that should mark the life of someone who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after him, because this is about transformational spiritual markers of change in our life. And we, last week we looked at this idea of the changed heart, meaning our heart forever has got to flow with the hope and love of Jesus. That, that's got to be a marker of our life, of someone who has said yes to Jesus, who's fallen after him. There, there's a lot of people that like Jesus. But that's not the same of saying yes to Jesus and loving him with all your heart. And our world needs people who have said yes to Jesus and are loving him with all their heart. And it's changing now how their heart functions and how they love. It's beginning to transform them. And so in 1 Peter, that now we're getting to the tail end of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And he's starting in verse 13. I'm going to read through a chunk tonight. And then we're going to really kind of go back to 13 through 15. That's really where the focus is tonight. But I want you to kind of catch something. If you're re reading from an NIV Bible, uh, verse 13 is going to start with the word therefore. Here's, here's a little trick as your Bible student or you're looking through the Bible. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, well, hey, what's that therefore? 
Okay? Yeah. It's really easy. Um, and the reason you ask that is because it, everything that's happened before is why that therefore is therefore. Okay? So everything he said from chapter, chapter 1, verse 1 through 12, where he's saying, hey, here's all the ways you've been changed because of your faith in Jesus. Now, therefore, here's how it's supposed to impact your life and your living. And so he's going to go on, here's what he says. Uh, therefore, if you're reading from the NIV, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation tonight, but here's what it says. Uh, so, or, or therefore, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Maybe your scripture says self uh, kind of restraint. Prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God uh, who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, be holy because I'm holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge us and reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him. This is the idea of God's big, I'm little, live in, in, in this fear appropriately, kind of this idea of the awe of God, not afraid of God in some ways, but it's this idea of God's approachable, I'm just in awe, he's way bigger than me. That's what he's saying. Live in fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Listen, we are just passing through. Life makes a whole lot more sense when you realize we're temporary and we're just passing through. And this isn't all there is. And in some ways, whew, good. Because some of this stinks, right? And it's the best is yet to come, is what Peter is saying. For you know, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, but with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he's revealed him for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have been placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed of your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must be sincere in your love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. That's what we were looking at last week. This idea of a changed heart flows with forever, with the hope and love of Jesus. For you've been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So Peter's saying, there's something here. And what he starts off with is prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. Exercise some spiritual restraint in, in, in a way. Exercise restraint in the world in which we live. Be prepared. Uh, the Greek word here is, I'm going to totally mess it up. Here we go. Uh, anozonomy. Okay? And it's literally this idea to gird up. All right? Gird up. What in the world does that mean? So, like in the ancient Near East, people wore like robes, right? 
And uh, to gird up, literally, did you know Jewish people ate the Passover with their robe actually tucked up underneath their belt? So they were girded up. They were to have their sandals on, the robe kind of up so that they were ready to move if they were called into action or God said, hey, it's time to go. And they had their staff in their hand if you were a guy. That's the deal, right? We don't dress like that, maybe at Coachella, but we don't dress like that in normal. Um, But... And, like, I don't recommend wearing a robe, especially to Walmart, because then you're on the website, and that's not cool. But people of Walmart, look it up. So um, this idea, you say, look, we need to be prepared. What he's saying is you prepare your mind. A lot of times people come and they say, well, the Christian faith is just like to check your brains at the door. And I want to say, bah! That's weird. Don't laugh like that again. Okay. Um, It's not check your brains at the door. In fact, the Christian faith has so much sound thought and theology to it. Is there an element of faith? Is there an element of kind of you got to trust a little bit of what's unseen? Yeah, there's an element of that. But you do that every time you go on a roller coaster. Like there's an element of trust every time you fall in love. There's an element of uh, things that are unknown. Uh, and that you have to go. And so it is this idea that it's a thoughtful faith. This idea of gird up is to be prepared, to be under control, not controlled by other things, even good things. Like don't to be so controlled by your career or so controlled by your pursuits of other stuff that you're not prepared for what God has for you and what he has to do as he's trying to change you and to mold you. This word mind refers to this idea of your spiritual mental attitude. You're to gird up your spiritual and mental attitude. Believers need to have a new mindset. The word mind appears 121 times in Scripture. There are several different Hebrew and Greek words from the Old Testament and New Testament that speak to our English word mind. But kind of the best definition I can give you would be this. The mind is kind of the thinking or thinking over part of you. The place of knowing and reasoning. And if our mind is a place of knowing and understanding, then it is imperative that we allow God to shape our minds and the way that we think and so that matches his desires of what he wants us to know and how he wants us to understand things. That as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, we want God to kind of upload or update our operating system, if you will. The way we perceive things that our operating system would be updated, uploaded in a new way that matches the mindset of God so that as we function and as we uh, negotiate and navigate life, we're beginning to think differently, perceive things differently, begin to interact differently in what we're seeing in front of us. Peter wanted the believers to understand, hey, you have been changed and you're also in the process of being changed. And part of that is you need to prepare your mind. You need to conform your mind. How many of you have ever made jello before? Okay, so you've made jello, you pour it into a mold, and what does the jello look like after it hardens? Yes. Good night, everybody. <laughs> yes, it looks like jello, uh, but it looks like the mold that you put it into, right? Because it, it gets conformed. That's what this idea of conformed to. That Peter is saying, I want you to compare your minds, be conformed to more and more of like, who? Who are we following? Well, Jesus, that's the mold, if you will, 
that we're, we're trying to be more and more like him, that the way he sees life, we would see it that way. How he would interact or react in life is how we would interact or react. Peter's saying, look, obedient children, they kind of put away these things. That's what he says at first. And they take up these things. That as you became a believer in Jesus, if you've made that step, you've received a new mindset. In a way, your operating system has been upgraded. And so much of that is tied to the work of the Holy Spirit and to the scriptures. To us to understand what God's heart and mind is like. The, the word conform again is this idea of pattern your life after. And we would say pattern your life after Jesus. That you begin to have your life molded. Well, that means you have to understand the way he thought. What he has to say about life. Because he came and said this is the truth. And he modeled it. And he said it. And he spoke about it. And he said this is the reality. It's the best possible way to live. See, unbelievers have a way of patterning their life after a lot of things and desires run rampant and have no control with that. But Peter's saying, look, there is a sense of self-restraint here. There is this sense of, of having your mind patterned after something else. Believers should be set apart and different because God's qualities are now in our life. They begin to change who we are and how we see the world because of our faith in Christ as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to work out a divine family likeness, if you will. We're part of God's family now, and we want to have more of his family likeness in the way we interact and react with people. We cannot become holy on our own, but God through his Holy Spirit has made us holy and given us the energy to pursue holiness. It's why confession and repentance is such a great pattern to have in our lives as followers of Jesus. We're not going to achieve perfection this side of heaven. That's why progress is always greater than perfection, because perfection is a mirage. It's not real. But progress is real. And that's something we can measure, and that's some things. And Peter's saying, look, uh, the world means kind of parts of our lives and character should always be in the process of becoming conformed inwardly and outwardly, more and more to match what God's mindset and what his heart is for. The Bible is a way uh, of, of showing us that. That's why it's been protected and preserved and put together and, and not thwarted in a way. It's been attempted to. But it's not, and it's still the same. What we read today, thousands of years earlier, were written. And it's been preserved and protected that we may know God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking, Paul has this prayer for the people in Ephesus, the prayer for you and for me. I keep asking that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you would know more about him only. I know a lot of people who know a lot of things about Christianity or a lot of things about Jesus, but it hasn't changed him. There's a difference about knowing someone better. Now, there's also a part of that that you do get to know more about him, right? That happens in your friendships. That happens in your relationships. But it is about intimacy and about relational connection that you would know one another better. That's the goal. That's the drive. And so much of the scriptures are about helping us understand who God is and what he's really like. I love what A.W. Tozer writes this. The Bible is not only a book which was once spoken, 
but a book which is now speaking. Does that remind you of a Bible verse? How about Hebrews 4.12 that says this, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the hearts. Whoa. That's pretty intimate. That's pretty close. That's a proximity thing. That's an intimacy thing. See, the Bible is an incredibly put-together book. It's not just a book that contains some history. It is his story. It's God's story of his divine love for creation, his creation of it, his divine creation of people, his love to pursue a people who chose their own path, and he wanted to make a way for us to have relationship back with him. It's his divine activity. In the pursuit of history, drawing people back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the point of the whole entire Bible. Can I just tell you some fascinating things about the Bible? Maybe you've never heard this. Do you realize the Bible was written over a span of 2,000 years? From Old Testament to New Testament, the oldest book they they think is Job, uh, written so many thousands of years ago. Over 2,000 years of the kind of compiling all the scriptures together, written by more than 40 different authors on multiple continents, people from all walks of life, people who were educated beyond belief and people who were non-educated, Jew and Gentile alike, written in a few different moods, from the highest of highs and the greatest joys to the depths of anguish, words recorded for us in three different languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And the whole thing tells one story. There's multiple little chapters, multiple little subsets, but really it's one story about Jesus. From Old Testament prophecies to the New Testament, people writing about what Jesus did and who he is. It's recording for us God's love for his people and his work to draw them closer to him through Jesus. See, for some, a Bible is just something you carry around. But friends, for a follower of Jesus, someone who has said yes to him and who is pursuing life with him, these are words that are meant to carry us because they're alive and they're active. There's something incredibly mysterious and beautiful about this scripture. Now, does that mean you're going to understand everything? Probably not. I don't. Does that mean every question is going to be answered? Probably not. I still got some. Does that mean you're not going to have points where you you struggle to understand what's going on or or why that was going on? Yeah. Because it's dynamic. And it's God's heart. The Jewish rabbis had a saying that you could look at Torah, you could look at the scriptures, and it was like this diamond. That every time you turned it, there was like a new glimmer. So whether you read something 300 different times, the Holy Spirit could speak to you about something different from the same passage that you've read 300 times. There's something beautiful about this scripture that in these words, if they're alive and active, the writer's describing we're not just to read these words to get through them. We're to let these words get through us. And there's something about this relationship with scripture to understand here's God's heart 
Here's his truth. Here's what he's about. That this has been written and protected and assembled and and kept for us to know him better. To know what he says about life. This, in a lot of ways, is our update to that operating system. As a follower of Jesus. That all scripture, 2 Timothy says this, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking and correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's good for teaching. If you have a pen, I want you to circle this, because this is interesting. It's like a a three-legged stool, if you look at this verse. He's showing, here's what the Bible is meant to do. It's good for teaching. It's teaching us truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. He came as a communicator of that truth. He is truth and uh, kind of personified. This is truth. This is what this is. It's meant to help you and to help you see life in a different way. So this is the truth, the content of that, that you're to see this. This is rebuking and correcting, this idea of the second leg of that. Rebuking and correcting, this idea of, of kind of helping you stay instead of deviating away from different things. Um, I, I'm teaching my daughter to drive. She's 16. It's awesome. Pray for me. Um, so, like, we're, she's come a long way. She's doing awesome in that. But, you know, here's the deal. You know this to be true, right? Uh, when you drive on the road, there's these things called lines. Yes, okay. But you put them together and they are a lane. Where are you supposed to stay? You just quoted LeVar Ball. <laughs> Three of you get that. Okay. Um, stay in your lane, right? That's this idea. That's where you're supposed to be, right? So you stay in your lane. I- I'm trying to teach my daughter. This is where we, we stay. Like, typically, like, you get to a neighborhood, there's curbs, right, on either side. Is it bad to go over the curb? Good job. You're passing. Um, in a lot of ways... This is what that passage is saying. This is about teaching you truth. Rebuking and correcting is kind of like these curbs. It's to help keep you on the road, leading you to deeper intimacy with knowing God and relating with him better and relating with people better. And when you go over the curbs, bad stuff happens. Things get off kilter. Things become, there's these accidents that can occur. And so that's really what, this scripture is saying it's like hey this is God breathed this this isn't just something that was like willy-nilly this is God put this into motion he inspired these authors to record this over these 2,000 years on different continents and different moods so that you and I would know God we'd be able to relate and, and drive in a relational way toward knowing him better and being able to relate with people better and this is about training in righteousness. The interesting word there is it's a Greek word pedia and pedia is this idea of to parent Isn't that awesome? That the scriptures, in a way, parent us. Now, listen, I know for some of you, that's not a great image. That's a pretty broken one, actually. And I wish it wasn't. I I wish you had the benefit uh, of the benefit I had with great godly parents who parented me well, who challenged me when I needed to be challenged, who held me to truth, and who, who made me the person that I am, who, who called the best out of me even when I didn't want to do it. But in every step of the way, I was loved. 
and I was parented in a way that was just beautiful. And in a way, listen, that's what, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. These scriptures, in a lot of ways, don't just tell you truth. That, that's good. And they don't just tell you where the curbs are. That's good too. But these scriptures are, are parenting you in a way that you might know God better, what he's really like, and that you'd be able to relate to him better, relate to people better, because they have truth in them. And they can help correct things and keep things from going sideways. It's so that you would know and so that you would behave and so that you would relate and have this relational purpose of truth. But so often in our culture, we don't go to seek understanding God from the scriptures. We, we try to seek to understand God by what we think he's really like. And friends, that's a, that's a weird and dangerous place to be when we make God up based on what we think he should be. That's why Jesus was saying, look, this scripture helps us know who God is. There's a guy, Christian Smith, who wrote a book called Soul Searching. He summarized the misconceptions people often have. Some people think of God as like this cosmic cop who's always out to get them. Some people think he's this disinterested person who kind of like said it and forget it type thing. And he writes uh, about this idea of that in our culture, the Western culture, a lot of people have a moral therapeutic deism which is just fancy words for they've made God to be kind of like the Santa Claus God, who's, who's moral in some ways. God wants you to be nice, and he rewards the good, and he withholds from the naughty. He, he's therapeutic in a way that uh, God wants you to just be happy all the time. And this deism means that God is distant, and that he's not really involved. Occasionally his activity's there, but he's, he kind of really just set things in motion, and now he's kind of checked out on permanent vacation, except for maybe once a year where he checks back in. It's this moral, therapeutic deism, and that's how people a lot of times see God. But can I just tell you that's not at all how God's portrayed in the scriptures? And that's why it's important that we see God for who he is. In fact, Christian Smith writes these words. He says, but we can't grow in our relationship with God when we insist on relating to God as we think he should be. It's the same way in our human relationships. If I demand that you must try to meet my needs and conform to my assumptions about you, you will probably feel cheapened and manipulated. That's why our surrender to God as he is, as revealed in the Bible, is so vital and so important that we'd see him clearly, that you'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, that you might see him clearly. Otherwise, we have made God in our own imagination. And that's scary. And so throughout the scriptures, there's this call to say, hey, dive into this. Don't just try to get through it, actually get it through you. And, and anchor yourself to the scriptures. Scriptures have a way of, they've been given to us to rewire and to retrain and to reboot and to reload God's operating system, if you will, into our minds, to change our minds. So our mind and our mindsets match more of his. That's why spiritual maturity is not this idea of just knowing a bunch of information. But this idea of relating, knowing information is a part of that. But it's relating with God, relating with others. It's important. I wrote this, memorizing God's word puts it in your head, but meditating on God's word puts it in your heart. And you want both. 
because this is about a changed heart and a changed mind. And part of rewiring an operating system, system so our, our mindsets match more of God's is getting into his word. Do you know the longest chapter in the Bible? Do you know where it's found? Lyle read it earlier, Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. There's a trivia question for you. Ooh. Go read it this week. You know what it's about? It's about a hunger and thirst for this. That you would know God's word and that his statutes, his insights, uh, what he has to say about life matters and that you'd pursue it. It's the importance of practicing this pattern of solitude and of prayer and of spending time with God, knowing who he is, seeing who he is, what he has to say about life. I think the discipline of solitude in our culture is probably the discipline that's needed most in a culture that's always a swirl and going and running and chasing and pursuing. This discipline of solitude to unplug and to say, God, I just want to be with you. And whether I do that on a mountaintop or whether I do that uh, in the kitchen table when it's quiet. And for some of you, like you're a mom of toddlers, you're like, when is that ever? Um, maybe it's nap time and it's five minutes. But whatever that may be, that you would build a pattern in your life of solitude, of spending time with God's word. Here's three questions I want to give you as you're studying God's word, as you're reading through it. I think these are three really good questions to ask as you're reading through the scriptures. It's just simply this. What's in the scripture that you're reading? What does God want me to know? Okay, what's the truth in here that God wants me to know? How does this help me know God better and relate to people better? That's the relational theology, relational purpose of truth. What does God want me to know? How does this help me know him better, relate to people better? And now, what does God want me to do? The so what? What does God want me to do? Now, as I'm, as I'm discovering this, as I'm seeing this, as God is revealing this to me, this idea of the word conform that we read in 1 Peter is only used one other time in the scripture. It's Romans 12, verse 2. Here's the memory verse that was on your card that the challenge for this week to memorize. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. This is all back to what Peter said. Gird up your mind. Live with this purpose. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is in your life. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. That you begin to understand this idea. Here's the bottom line for tonight. It's on your card. A mind that's been marinated with God's scripture leads to a life that's filled with God's power. You cannot get around that. If you will marinate your mind with God's scripture, you will see God's power more and more in your life. That doesn't mean you become the person who goes around quoting Bible verses to everything, like including the woman who's checking, like the target checkout person. When they say, do you have change? And you're like, no, speed of change. And then just go into a Bible verse. Don't be that person, okay? That's, that's just weird. Um, and you make the rest of us look weird. So just be normal. But hiding God's word in your heart, as Lyle said earlier, is vital. It's important. Get it into your mind. Meditate on it. Let it get into your heart to begin to change you because it changes your mind. Now, I listen, for some of you, you've had a pattern of being in God's word, and it's awesome. 
and it's going really well for you. For some of you who are sitting here, you're like, I am brand new to church, and I, have no, I don't even have a Bible. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, I got one for you tonight, free, okay? You can have it. In fact, if you have a smartphone, you can download a free Bible app called YouVersion. If you just go to our app and click on the Bible thing, it'll take you right to it. YouVersion has thousands of reading plans. Here's my challenge for you this week. If you've never read the Bible, never had a pattern of doing that, go there, find one, um, one YouVersion reading plan that's three days long and just do those three days. You can do that, okay? Just find one that's three days long and go, I'm just gonna do this. And I'm gonna be praying that those three days is just something magical for you. Does that mean an angel is gonna visit you in your room and sing? Probably not. That's awesome, call me if that happens, that's cool. But here's the deal. If we just make a pattern of getting God's word into our heart and into our mind, it begins to change our mind and our mindsets. It's just what happens. Some days it's gonna be awesome and you're gonna feel like that word is truly alive and active and it's reacting to you and interacting with you and it's gonna move you to tears. And other times you're gonna read through the Bible and have a moment with God and you're gonna be like, hell, I got that done. And it's okay. This is about having a pattern of this because it's what changes our mind. It's what changes our heart. And so I just want to pray to that end. We're going to have communion. We're going to close in a song. Uh, Brian will have a few announcements. But this goal this week, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, try to memorize it. Do not be conformed uh, or do not let your mind be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of letting the scripture begin to change you. So, Father, as we move toward a time of communion, just remembering again Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection that made a way for us, pray that you'd move in our hearts as we worship you in song, that you continue to take this truth that we're hearing, that your word is alive and active. It's able to teach us truth. It can keep us between the curbs, moving relationally right toward you and others. It has a way of parenting us toward your best. God, would you give us a passion to find and and develop our own pattern of being in your word? Father, for any who have struggled with that for a while, I pray that this week would be a week where they say yes again and they give it another go. For those who have maybe been doing this for a while and it's become stale in their mind because they've been doing it a certain way, maybe they change that up and this is a week that refreshes them of time with you in your word so that our mind is changed. Help us to be people that marinate our mind in the scriptures, that we begin to see your power in our life. We ask that in Jesus' name.